Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it's that time of year. It's bowl season. It's time for our 2023 bowl season preview. We'll be previewing every bowl game Big Ten teams are participating in, minus the college football playoff, Michigan and Alabama playing in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. Not previewing that one. It gets its own episode, so stay on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, we'll be taking a look at the rest of bowl season across the Big Ten Conference. And joining me to break it all down, as always, in Nashville, Tennessee, it's Reed Murray. Reed, how are you? Hi, Patrick. Doing well on this winter break. Currently wearing my $5 club t-shirt, local band out of Columbus, so still repping the 614, even when I'm in the 615. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of corny of me to say. I liked it. Whatever. I I liked it. I thought it was fun. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. It's a neat little I see you repping the... Yeah, I see you're up at the Indiana Pacers, too. I am, and uh, it's been a fun season so far for for us at, at the Fieldhouse. I'm back home in Indianapolis. Uh, of course, I'm going to be rocking with uh, the blue and gold, the Pacers. And, uh, hey, since we last had this show, the, the Pacers made it all the way to the final of the in-season tournament. So pretty exciting time for us here in central Indiana as well. But while it's certainly that time of year, it's basketball season, We've still got to finish out college football. It's bowl season. It's the best time of year in the sport because uh, we get matchups that otherwise we wouldn't see. Some really unique matchups, some cool teams facing off, and I think a lot to learn not only about what is the 2023 season going to look like at its end when we write the final chapter to it, but what are these teams going to look like in 2024? Bowl season these days due to opt-outs at least outside of the college football playoff. And we'll see what it looks like in the 12 team playoff era starting next year. But these days it almost gives us a better idea of what the 24 team is going to look like, or the next year's team versus what the previous tiers team looks like with uh, any equally matched challenge. So there's a lot to learn in these games. I think still a lot to watch for, and let's start it with what to watch for Reed floor is yours. What are you watching for this week? I'm watching for the clash of the big 10 and sec. We have six matchups between these two conferences this bowl season. Always a big debate between these two conferences, I think. This year, for the Big Ten, top to bottom, all of the top three teams facing SEC opponents, so the Big Ten can stake its claim as the best conference at the top if they win some of these games. If not, then the Big Ten future for college football, especially in those near six spots, the three near six teams from the Big Ten all playing SEC teams, because I think in the future, as we move toward this 12 playoff, and we move toward some more powerhouses joining the Big Ten and SEC. TC and Big 12, as long as they still exist, will send representatives. But I think a lot of those at-large spots will be filled by the Big Ten SEC. I think next year, all of them could be filled by Big Ten SEC. Because you look at it, and at this point, all of the powerhouses in college football, with the exception of Notre Dame, Clemson, and Florida State, if you consider them a powerhouse, play in these two conferences. So interesting to see these two conferences clashing so much, both in the New Year's Six and in the regular bowls as well this bowl season. Yeah, definitely a lot to watch for between the Big Ten and the SEC. And I, you know, the opt-out era, it, it I get it, but at the same time, it kind of sucks because, boy, would I really like to see uh, this Wisconsin defense against Jaden Daniels. Would I yep. really like to see uh, really anybody else from Ohio State taking on a Missouri team that was sort of an upstart this year? And 
okay, what was Missouri going to do when they had to face a truly elite team like Ohio State or close to it like Ohio State? How are they going to fare? Will it be any different than how they fared against Georgia? So, uh, and not just in the Big Ten SEC matchups, but I think in a number of other ones across the country, it would have been cool to see, but really a lot to learn here. And obviously on the basketball side of things in the past, there have been things like the Big Ten ACC Challenge doesn't exist anymore. Gavit Games thing is going away next year. A Big Ten SEC challenge in football, I think, would be really fun, and it's not going to happen due to TV contracts. The Fox League and the ESPN League don't want to be friends with each other. But here in bowl season, we kind of get that. So, by the way, I think going forward, uh, there could be seasons where the only game a Big Ten team plays on an ESPN network is a bowl game. Even this year, I think that might be the case for some teams. So, uh, that's kind of a a fun thing to watch because ESPN owns the rights to so many bowl games. Yeah, it will be interesting. Ohio State hasn't played on ESPN since last season. I don't think Penn State has. Michigan hasn't either. So, I mean, across the Big Ten, but especially at the top, it's going to be really interesting to see Kirk Herbstreit calling an Ohio State game again. Uh, you know, my family loves Kirk Herbstreit, so that'll be fun for the Murray family uh, to take that in. Yeah, it will absolutely be fun. So, lot to look for there. It's uh, definitely a little different. We've gotten so used to the Fox, NBC, CBS packages, uh, BTN too. So, Fun to see uh, ESPN back in the fold in the Big Ten this bowl season. I don't think we've got any bowl games uh, for Big Ten teams not on the ESPN family of networks. I believe every single one of them is on ESPN or ABC, ESPN2 as well. So uh, make sure you've still got your ESPN login info (laughs) if you haven't used it all season. uh, And and go check those out because that's how you're going to have to watch the Big Ten. I think it's interesting too, by the way, just looking at it from a media rights landscape, that in an era where Fox and CBS and NBC are so invested in the Big Ten, Fox especially, they have so little bowl game rights, and ESPN is still so dominant in that market. I, I can't even think of. Fox has what, like the bowl in San Holiday Francisco in the Holiday Bowl, and CBS has the Sun Bowl, and I think that's it. Yeah, I kind of like it that way, though. I like that ESPN has every bowl except for barstool bowl which is yeah somehow broadcast on barstool whatever that even means i don't know how you even access that um but yeah thank god that's a group of five bowl game um i kind of like them to sort of all be in one place it makes it much easier to find i just know i can flip on the tv put an espn channel on and there will be bowl football on it i i don't disagree but at the same time it's fascinating when fox is so invested in college football and fox has two bowl games like how did that happen yeah that is true. Odd, and they used to have the BCS odd. way, way back in the day, too. True. It's true. I remember. How, how could we forget? But, um, yeah, because I, I remember I'll, I'll see that highlight of the Statue of Liberty playing the yep. Boise State-Oklahoma game, and you'll see that old Fox scoreboard with the uh, whole line at the top of the screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. just uh, an old buried memory of, of mine that's uh, still there. I think it's something to watch for in the next few years to see if Fox – or CBS or NBC gets more invested in bowl season as we go along. But read what I am watching for this bowl season. It's stoppable forces and movable objects, because in three of these Big Ten bowl games, we have pretty anemic Big Ten offenses against terrible SEC defenses. Who is going to give? Something's got to give. It's a stoppable force. It's a movable object. Will the force not be stopped? Will the object not move? Who knows? Something's got to give, though. The Penn State offense unwatchable at points this season against the Ole Miss defense, which could not stop a nosebleed if they tried. 
the Iowa offense, which was just as bad, worse. if not if not significantly worse than the Penn State offense against the Tennessee defense, which is also pretty bad. That's in the Citrus Bowl. And uh, then in the former Outback Bowl, current Reliac West Bowl, the Wisconsin offense that gave us such moments as the time they lost to Indiana or the time that they could not get a single yard like their lives depended on it when Ohio State was trying to hand them the game against the vaunted LSU defense that cost Jaden Daniels a chance at a, a really great spot in a bowl game after such an amazing season. So a lot of stoppable forces, a lot of movable objects in bowl season in the Big Ten and SEC games that we've got lined up. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what happens on the other side of the ball in these games, at least kind of ignoring the opt-outs where you've got these electric SEC offenses, Ole Miss, LSU against some really stout Big Ten defenses. And uh, I think it's a, a battle of the wills. It's a battle of these sort of styles of play. The Big Ten uh, really prides itself on defense and the SEC. It's a lot of high-flying offense and elite speed, SEC speed they always talk about. They call it SEC speed. It's, is it a thing? Is it not a thing? Let's find out when they have to go up against uh, the best defenses in the country. So I think that's something absolutely worth watching for on both sides of the ball. Uh, maybe not quite as good when you're seeing those Big Ten offenses going against the SEC defenses, but maybe that means it's a career day for somebody like Drew Aller. On the flip side of the ball, boy, are we going to see a lot of NFL talent going head-to-head when some of these SEC offenses take on the Big Ten defenses. Yeah, and and I mean, it's it's going to be hard to pick some of these games because of that weird imbalance between the two styles because I look at – for example, the Iowa-Tennessee game. I don't want to skip ahead to the predictions too hard, but that one is one where my instinct says, man, I really don't want to pick Iowa because they just play an ugly style of football and they didn't really beat a gauntlet of a schedule this year. But it's not really super easy to pick Tennessee either because at the end of the day, like Iowa still plays stout defense. And uh, I don't. It, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult uh, pick segment of this episode, I think. I think so too, especially because of the the wrinkle that guys not playing throws into it. Because exactly, a team like LSU, we can say, all right, we know what LSU is about. They score 100 points a game. They play no defense, and they can light it up in a moment's notice and get on the scoreboard quickly. But when Jaden Daniels isn't playing, is LSU still that team? It's a, a legitimate question. So, uh. It's a lot of guesswork that goes into these bowl games, but I think that's what makes it fun because you, you don't know what it's going to look like. And uh, I think that's kind of exciting as, as fans of the sport, even though you'd rather see these established names play. I think there's a lot to learn about what these teams are going to look like going forward at the same time. Yeah. And I think it certainly makes Wisconsin LSU more interesting because that's one where mm-hmm. if you take the two teams in the regular season, you say, wow, LSU is going to kill these guys, but there is still some hope for the Badgers in December. Completely agreed, even though... Or I guess, is that... Yeah, it's not in December, though, is it? Is, isn't it in... I was say, yeah, it's January is it, 1st. Is it January? Yeah, yeah. In, in January. Pardon me. In 12 hours after the month of December ends. How about that? Yeah. So, uh, close enough for me, Reed. All right, uniform matchup of the week. I'd have to go Michigan and Alabama, not knowing what Michigan's going to wear. I, I call that my official pick, even though we're not talking about that game in this episode. Boy, seeing those two uniforms on the field in the Rose Bowl... Uh, there's something special about that. It's it's truly iconic. But uh, if we're going with the games we're talking about in this episode, I'm going to go Utah and Northwestern. I think Utah has some of the best uniforms in the country. And Northwestern, uh, I picked them a lot this season. This new set they've got, this updated set that Under Armour's had for them has been really nice. This is an Under Armour matchup too. So 
really big brand game for Under Armour. I think Under Armour's done an excellent job with some of their recent uniforms and uh, Northwestern Utah's current kits. Good representation of that. See, I think Utah, their Rose Bowl edition uniforms that they sometimes wear in the regular season too are incredible, but I think their standard sets, I'm not a big fan of them. So I can't go with Utah because of, there's too much variability there. Mm-hmm. Is that even a word? There's it's too a word. Much, uh, there we go. Variance? Um, Is that what you were looking for maybe? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, for mine though, I'm going to say Wisconsin LSU. Um, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of many of these uniform matchups because some of the classic looks like Iowa and Tennessee. I like both of their sets, but the yellow and orange clashing, not a big fan of that. Uh, Wisconsin LSU, I think really contrasts very well. I'll also say Penn State Ole Miss is one that has such potential to be a legendary uniform game. But Ole Miss, I just, they, they always find a way to have great colors and just screw it up. They always yeah. do, whether it's that, that stupid real tree helmet they have that's like, <laughs> camo but it's also white and powder blue or just the some of the wacko combinations they come up with Olmus often drops the ball and i can't put my trust in them for that reason they come so close but so far i even when they roll out those powder blue uniforms it doesn't really match up with the helmets they wear exactly see like so they'll have the red stripe on the blue uniform it's yeah bugs me really bugs me i think Ole Miss needs a a I don't think they need a redesign, but what they need is a refinement of their uniforms. They need to be refined. They just need someone who cares about attention to detail to say, hey, this uniform is entirely blue, so let's not put a red logo on the helmet or a red stripe. They need just brand consistency. They could use the same attention to detail on the defensive side of the football as well. (laughs) You're right. Yeah, let's be be honest there. But uh, a lot of good uniform matchups this week, Reed. Um, let's talk about Michigan and Alabama really quickly, just because I don't know if we'll talk about this when we're talking about the actual game. What uniform do we think Michigan trots out for this one? I feel like it's going to be the blue pants. I feel like it's going to be the blue pants too, which would be disappointing mm-hmm. because I think when you're in the Rose Bowl, you should go with the traditional uniform. Um, here's my thinking though. The blue pants have served them well against Ohio State and they've served them well in the Big Ten title game. They have not served them well in the playoff. They wore them against Georgia two years ago, lost in the blue pants. Then next year, they, I assume, said, well, the blue pants were bad luck in the playoff last year, so this year we'll switch it up, go traditional maze. They also lost there. So Michigan, they're winless in both uniform. Maybe Michigan just so can't win in the playoff. Of a, maybe that's the issue. <laughs> maybe. But I found that Michigan, one thing I respect about them, is they follow a good superstitious uniform code where mm-hmm. they they wore the blues against Ohio State, they won, and they wore them again this past year when they were at home. And I respect that. It's kind of like Washington. They wore the all-purple set against Oregon earlier in the season. They won. They wore it again in the Pac-12 championship. But the thing is, there's no positive trend for Michigan in the playoff. If I were them, I would go traditional because it's the Rose Bowl and it's kind of it doesn't matter, so you might as well go with the more traditional one if they're both bad luck. Um, but knowing them, they'll probably go with the all blues as well. And that's why I feel it too, just because of course they would, but may, if they go maze pants, that would be great. Alabama is going to be in the all whites with the crimson caps, something we know all too well, boy, oh boy, have we seen that one a lot in the college football playoff era. So going on past uniform matchups. Uh, let's look at our sickos game of the week real quick before we get into the rest of our schedule. 
Reed, let's talk about Bowling Green, Minnesota. What is this? Five and seven Minnesota in Detroit, $2 tickets. I mean, if you're watching this at 2 p.m. on Boxing Day, go spend some time with your family. Go watch some soccer. Go take a nap. Go for a nice walk. Bundle up. It's cold out. Don't watch this. There's no There's no reason. I mean, read. And at 2 o'clock, too. Why are they putting this game at 2 o'clock on a weekday? Weird. What sense does that make? It's so weird. I mean, I guess it's a holiday-ish. It's the day after Christmas. It's Boxing Day. It's a holiday in Canada and in the United Kingdom for sure. Um, I I just I can't believe this game exists. Well, and, and the the upside of there not being enough six and six teams in college football is we get James Madison and Jacksonville State in bowl games, mm-hmm. which they fully deserve. Good for them. This is the downside that you have a five and seven Minnesota team going. And I like, I get that they have to fill the slot and they had no other option. And Minnesota, I suppose, is one of the better five and seven teams. But I just hate the concept of a team who didn't earn bowl eligibility playing in a bowl. Mm-hmm. It just, I, I don't, it bugs me. I don't like it. I agree. Um, and I think this particular matchup, this is, I told you before the episode, if anyone ever needs government secrets out of me <laughs> and then use this as, as a way to torture me and get those government secrets clock on a Tuesday, these teams, oh my God, this is so, you, you gotta be sick. You gotta have a lot of money riding on this one to be spending a significant portion of your Tuesday, <laughs> the 26th on it. <laughs> I mean, and, and the crazy thing is Minnesota two years ago, lost to Bowling Green in a real game of football. They lost to them, and now they have to go and play them again in a bowl game. It's not even really a revenge game because if you're Minnesota saying we want revenge on Bowling Green, that's just kind of sad. <laughs> so yeah, you can't even say that. The other wrinkle in this game, Minnesota only has one quarterback on its roster, Cole Kramer, who there was a rumor, which he denied, uh, that he was getting paid $30,000 to play in this game just so Minnesota had a quarterback. He was ready to move on with his life and, and go get a job. He had a house in Arizona, apparently. He's getting married in February. Like, this is a real grown-ass man, for lack of a better term, who needs to go move on with his life. And he's playing in the bowl game. He hasn't played all season. Athen Kelly McManus is in the portal. Their other quarterback, their third stringers in the portal. It's just him. So if Cole Kramer goes down, then uh, – me or you could be playing quarterback for Minnesota Reed. Nobody knows. Have your phone on standby. This could get interesting, but uh, boy, just a, a really weird game, all things considered. We'll talk about this. We'll preview it. We'll give it a little more thought and give a prediction in the next segment. But read anything else on this Bowling Green Minnesota matchup before we move on to the rest of the slate. Well, I just wanted to say shout out to Cole Kramer for taking the words of our former president to heart. Go home and get a job. <laughs> Respect to him for that one. Good for him. And hey, con- congrats on uh, on the engagement, Mr. Kramer. Uh, we wish you and your fiance, your soon-to-be wife, hopefully nothing but the best after this bowl game and for many years beyond. So shout out to them indeed. All right, quick break. Then we will be back to preview the rest of the Big Ten slate. So we'll see you in just a quick second. 
back here on the first and 10, ready to get into the rest of our preview for Big Ten Bowl season. All right, Reed, let's start with our game of the week like we always do. This time around, it's, well, the only game with limited opt-outs, good teams, and I think a pretty even matchup. Penn State Ole Miss. It's the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Saturday, December 30th at noon in Atlanta, Georgia. Penn State, four-point favorites in this game. The Ole Miss offense is elite. The Penn State offense is anemic. And then the other side around, it's vice versa. The Penn State defense, pretty elite. Ole Miss defense, eh, not great. So um, who knows how this one's going to play out, Reed. I feel like if Ole Miss gets rolling early and scores a lot of points, Penn State could be in some trouble. I don't think I trust Drew Aller to have the ball in his hands and throw it a lot. I think Penn State's going to have to establish the run. I think Penn State is going to have to have some long scoring drives. And for Ole Miss, uh, they're going to have to be able to stop the bleeding. They're going to have to be able to make those third down stops. They're going to have to be able to control uh, the pace of the game. They're going to have to be able to get off the field and put the ball into their offense's hands. And with that, uh, I think they're going to have to be able to stretch the field the way they always do, and that's easier said than done against this difficult Penn State defense. Yeah, and I think also just generally on the Peach Bowl, the Peach Bowl has consistently been one of the most exciting bowls in recent right. years. Absolutely has. I mean, last year in the playoff, it was one of the best games in bowl season. And then, you know, you had that Georgia versus Cincinnati Peach Bowl in 2020. The Pitt versus Michigan State Peach Bowl was pretty good. And just generally, there have been some great Peach Bowls. And I think this year is going to be no different. I am still a little bit disappointed. I kind of wanted to see Penn State, Missouri, and Ohio State, Oregon, and then have uh, Ole Miss go play Liberty. But I do like how this bowl game sh- shook out. I don't know why I just forgot how to say the word shake in the past tense. But I like how the matchup shook out here. I, I do agree it's going to be an interesting contrast of styles. And one thing that's kind of standing out to me, though, is that Manny Diaz is leaving Penn State. Chop Robinson has opted mm-hmm. out. And what's so funny to me is, I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, that Lane Kiffin, every time there's a player who leaves Penn State or a coach who leaves Penn State or anything, Lane Kiffin will quote tweet it and, like, be like, hell yeah, congratulations or something. <laughs> but it's just a- absolutely hilarious. Lane Kiffin's Twitter is excellent. As much as I don't like Lane Kiffin as a person, his Twitter is absolutely hilarious, especially <laughs> right now, uh, responding to the Penn State new job takings and opt-outs and whatnot. Um, I-, I find that all, all of that hilarious. But I do think on the actual football side of things, as much as I think this will be a good game, it is going to be hard for me to pick Penn State in this one because just all season, especially in big games, like you mentioned, converting on third down has been really difficult. And as much as Ole Miss may not be phenomenal on defense, you have to convert on third down to win games. And the Ole Miss defense will force third down every now and then. Um, and I just think when Ole Miss's offense, which has most of its players returning for the game, is able to sort of get on the board quickly, an explosive style of offense, and then you have to combat that with this sort of slow chip away style of offense on your own end. I think it's a difficult way to win a game of football. Um, and who knows, maybe Penn State's defense stands strong and Jackson Dart is not able to have these quick hitting explosive drives on the field, but I still think they'll get some of them. And I just, I don't know. I, I think Ole Miss's style of, of play will kind of be established more strongly and be hard to overcome for Penn State. But at the same time, Penn State has had a really good track record in the New Year's Six. They've won their last three, 
New Year's Six Bowl games, including the Rose Bowl against Utah last year. They can get up for these games, even in seasons uh, like most seasons, to be honest, where they don't beat Michigan, don't beat Ohio State. So I, I don't think Penn State is completely out of this game, even if you don't expect them to win. And I'll tell you, I think Penn State is going to win this game. I think that they can establish themselves in the trenches. I think they're a more physical team than Ole Miss. I think they're a tougher team than Ole Miss. And at this point in the season, I think that's something that really matters. And while, while Ole Miss can stretch the field, if it gets to a shootout, uh, I trust Ole Miss to win that. But I don't think it's going to get to that point. I uh, I really like the physicality of this Penn State team. I like the preparedness. And uh, I just think that they're going to be able to win this game and set themselves up for a lot of hype going into next season that they inevitably won't be able to realize. I like Penn State here in a close one. 24 to 20 is my pick read. Well, I like that we're finally disagreeing because I think this game, if you're Penn State, we saw it earlier in the season where after they lost to Ohio State, they sort of were not the same when playing Indiana and Rutgers. And granted, they picked it up. They played a much better game against Michigan. But even still, I think when there was less to play for and there was less on the table for Penn State, they weren't able to bring the same level of play to the table. And I think in this game, I'm not trying to say the bowl games are pointless because I think they have lots of meaning, but a Peach Bowl is never going to mean as much to you as a playoff, and Penn State's goal entering the season was to go to the playoff. Um, so I think from an intangible standpoint, I don't think they bring it as much as they would have maybe if this was an early season game. And I also think with Chop mm-hmm. Robinson being gone, Manny Diaz taking a new job, things like that, I just think Ole Miss will come out stronger in this one. And I, I have them winning by, let's say, two scores. I'll go a 14-point win and say 35-21. Interesting. Let's talk about Manny Diaz taking that Duke job really quickly. So, of course, in one season as the Penn State defensive coordinator, immediately elevated that defense to a new level. And the new defensive coordinator at Penn State, boy, is it a familiar face for us. <laughs> His former Indiana head coach, Tom Allen. Uh, who took officially the Penn State job earlier today as we're recording this Tuesday, December 19th. Reed, how do you feel about Tom Allen taking this Penn State job? Because I have some thoughts on it. Well, I'm happy that we'll still get to hear Tom Allen's uh, gravelly voice in <laughs> Big Ten press conferences. That'll He's be gonna fun. He's going to keep slapping those tables. Happy Valley. Yeah, I'm happy that the table, table slaps. Table makers of Happy Valley are – salivating right now they're gonna have to buy (laughs) sell so many new tables to the penn state football department yeah i'm happy that those are not making their way to muncie indiana or bowling green ohio or some other uh smaller school i'm happy that it's remaining in the big 10 um i don't really know how to feel about tom allen because on one hand i look at that 2020 indiana team and i say you know what like tom allen had something special but at the same time we see what kalen deboer is doing in indiana and it's just you know maybe he was just yeah or sorry, yes, yeah, sorry, at Washington. Excuse and me, even Kane Womack at South Alabama. Yeah, you, you look at what his coordinators have gone on to do post-Indiana, and you think maybe his good teams were only a product of his coordinators and not him. So I really don't know what to expect out of Tom Allen at Penn State. Um, it, it's kind of one – I'm curious more to hear what you have to have to make of it. Yeah, my, my thought is I, I think he has been a good defensive coach and good defensive coordinator before, and he has been uh, for Indiana too. And – the 2019 and 20 teams had great defenses. They, they did. They turned the ball over a lot. And then Kane Womack left in 2021 for South Alabama, and the defenses immediately got worse and worse and worse. Maybe that's a talent issue. Maybe it's a coaching issue. It's kind of tough to diagnose it. But the fact of the matter is that the last two years under a defensive head coach, Indiana had the 13th and 14th best defenses out of 14 teams. 
in the Big Ten. And making that guy your defensive coordinator, while granted he's working with a lot more talent at Penn State and has a lot more resources, still, it, I think it leaves a lot to be desired. I think there's some serious questions. I think it could be very successful, but I think there are some questions to be had about why did Indiana's defense regress so hard when Kane Womack left? Why, even if the offense wasn't that good, it doesn't mean your defense can't be great. Look at Iowa. So with a defensive head coach like him, a coordinator is a little bit easier of a job. There's less to manage. And some of the more head coachy things like roster management, he, he wasn't nearly as good at as I think he was just a pure uh, football guy, so to speak, uh, was Tom Allen at Indiana over the last few years. I think he could be successful here, but I also I have serious questions about it, and I don't think it's going to be the plug-and-play solution that Manny Diaz was uh, for Penn State last season where he coached himself into another ACC job. I don't see Tom Allen uh, doing that or even really coaching himself into, say, a Big Ten job, let alone a Mac job or something like that anytime soon. And I also don't love the 4-2-5 as a base defense, but that's just a, a preference of mine from a schematic perspective. I have a lot of questions about it, and uh, I don't think it's going to be the rousing success that Manny Diaz was, but at the same time, it's a Penn State defense, and there's a certain baseline level of quality that you can expect no matter who the coordinator is. You could throw me or you as the defensive coordinator at Penn State, and they'd still mm -hmm. probably finish top five in the Big Ten, so... Yeah, I also think it's interesting real quick on Duke's part to hire Manny Diaz because, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, there's just something to me about a guy who already failed to produce the result that Miami wanted in your conference and bringing him back to a program with less money, less juice, less tradition in the same conference. I don't know, that doesn't look like a recipe for success for me if I'm the Duke AD, but who knows, maybe Manny Diaz has just found something new now. Yeah, I agree. What's the Big Ten equivalent to, to doing that? Would that be like, I don't know, would that have been somebody hiring Pat Fitzgerald this cycle in the Big Ten or Brett Bielema? I don't know. Brett, I mean, but Brett left Wisconsin for Arkansas. He didn't get fired. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's the thing yeah. there. I mean, but it's it's kind of tough to think of an equivalent for that. But yeah, I, I feel the same way, even though Manny Diaz led such a great Penn State defense. To me, that might just be an issue of number one, a lot of terrible offenses in the Big Ten especially that Penn State faced this year that kind of made them look a little better, as well as the supreme talent advantage that Penn State has on the defensive side of the football compared to most teams in the nation. They, they just have a lot of talent, and they always have on that side of the ball. I don't want to say it's an easy job to be the Penn State defensive coordinator, but it ain't the hardest job in the sport, to be completely honest. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though, to, to see what Tom Allen does there. Definitely weird seeing him in like Penn State colors. Gonna yeah. just be honest, doesn't feel quite right. But I wonder if uh, he's gonna have a special hat made up because he always wore that same Indiana hat, the red one with the white uh, mm -hmm. stitching. I wonder if he's gonna have a blue hat with white stitching on the brim. I'm intrigued because he also always sort of towards the I, I think really for his whole tenure he wore that bomber jacket too, uh, and then he also had this like pullover that he wore. Those were his two looks. One, the bomber jacket wore off the field. And he had this pullover that he wore on the field that you couldn't really find anywhere else. You couldn't just buy it. Maybe that's an Adidas issue. But uh, I'm intrigued to see what his, his fit is. I, I feel the same way about like every coach. Like, yeah, when you go to a different school, do you keep the same style of wardrobe? Do you change it up? How is do you go Jim about Harbaugh going to have uh, 
you know, if he goes to the NFL, is he going to have an old school logo put on a crew neck? Is is Ryan Day going to go take an NFL job of a team whose main color isn't black and then wear only black coaching gear for them? Who knows? Jim Harbaugh's uh, Chicago Bears branded khakis. Yeah. <laughs> coming to a, uh, I don't know, what what's a store out in Chicago? Coming, coming to your local Chicagoland store that sells khakis. I don't know. I, I can't think of the one. <laughs> Um, because Jim Harbaugh will be the next head coach of the Chicago Bears. That's my prediction for the day. But hey, you never know. Um, that's our game of the week, though. It's Penn State. It's Ole Miss. That game is on ESPN at noon on Saturday, December the thirtieth. All right, let's start from the top of the schedule. Utah Northwestern in the Las Vegas Bowl at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. Stadium I know all too well, having lived in that city all of last summer. Utah Utes, a team that's actually pretty popular in that region. A lot of kids in the Las Vegas area and the Las Vegas Valley go to Utah out of state as students. Very popular college destination, so I'm sure a lot of people are excited for that one. Plus, not too terribly far. It's a drivable destination for Utah fans. And for Northwestern, that is certainly a flight. But it's an affordable flight, at least. A lot of flights in and out of Las Vegas to incentivize gambling. And if you are gambling on it, Utah is a a six-and-a-half point favorite. Reed, Northwestern has been the king of beating the spread all year long. They've been underdogs week in and week out and found ways to come out on top. You think they do it again this week? Uh, it's hard to pick Northwestern here. I think Utah, even though they've capitulated a little bit at the end of the season, specifically that blowout against Arizona, this is a quality Utah team. They beat USC, and you know we can say USC is ho-hum as much as we want. They still have a lot of great athletes on that team. Utah found a way to win on the road. Washington, they give Washington a tough game in Seattle. They beat UCLA on the road, or no, at home. Um, and then who else did they beat? They had, what was their other big game? Uh, I don't know. I guess that was all of them. But Utah is still a oh, really Florida. quality team. Yeah, although, yeah, I guess now Florida, to me, uh, I don't think too much, too highly of them after not making a bowl game. But regardless, mm-hmm. Utah last two seasons won the Pac-12. This season still a pretty quality team. I think they're still a, a league above Northwestern. I think there are certain 8-4 and four and 7-5 and five matchups where they're pretty even. I think this is kind of the opposite, where Utah could be better than 8-4, and four, and Northwestern certainly could have a record worse than 7-5. and five. Um, I think this is one of the bowl games with, a, with the most significant talent gap. And Northwestern has surprised people a lot this season. I just don't think they keep it rolling this time. I'm going to say Utah by 17. I was going to say the same thing. Exact same. Yeah, I'll I'll go Utah by 17. I was going to say Utah by 17, 27 to 10. Number one, Utah is a better team, just flat out than Northwestern. As much fun as the Northwestern story has been this year, Utah would run amok in the Big Ten West. If they played a Big Ten West schedule, this team wins 11 games, maybe 12. And I don't think it's even particularly close. They're just a flat-out better coach, better talented football team uh, than anybody Northwestern played really all season. Not to mention, I think Utah's going to have a significant home field advantage in this game. It's an easy drive from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. Tickets are pretty expensive for this game, too, which tells me that because Utah has a much bigger fan base, a much better traveling fan base than Northwestern, that Utes fans are buying this. The get-in price is $58, which is pretty high. Uh, for a bowl game. I mean, we're seeing $2 tickets in the Minnesota Bowling Green game. So, you know, 60 bucks, it's something at least, and especially in a huge NFL stadium like that. 
so it tells me that Utah fans are going to bring a, a pretty good crowd because it's close, it's, you know, uh, a tough ticket to get, all things considered. Yeah, I, I just like Utah here, and uh, I don't think it's particularly competitive. All right, Tuesday, December 26th, Boxing Day, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, Bowling Green, Minnesota. Gophers, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Reed, Minnesota has some opt-outs, obviously, after Callie Kamanis. Uh, but even with him, this Minnesota offense was pretty bad all, all season long. But it's not like Bowling Green was the class of the MAC and uh, a mediocre MAC team versus a bad Big Ten team on a Tuesday afternoon in Detroit. We said it earlier. Why would you watch this? There's no point. But we'll give you a pick anyway. Reed, I'll take Bowling Green by six because I don't think Minnesota cares. Wow. I think. It's tough, but I'm going to have to go with when you give me bad Big Ten versus mediocre, mediocre Mac, I still think bad Big Ten wins out. I'm going Minnesota by four. Again, pointless game. Utterly pointless game. Even if Minnesota wins this, they still have a losing record on the season. Uh, it's just upsetting that this game exists, and I wish it didn't. With that being said, if my team were 5-7 and seven in a bowl game, I would be over the moon. So Minnesota fans, enjoy it. But uh, just know that this is a fraudulent bowl game appearance. If you want to watch that game, it's on ESPN at 2 p.m. on Boxing Day. All right, Thursday, December 28th, Rutgers and the U, two of the most popular universities in the state of New Jersey, because I feel like everybody who goes to the University <laughs> of Miami is just from New Jersey or Connecticut. The Canes are headed up to the Bronx to take on Rutgers at Yankee Stadium in the Bad Boy Melrose Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, the U, one-point favorites against Rutgers. Tough to know what this is going to look like. Miami, I think, is a better team. Uh, no Tyler Van Dyke, though, so that's a question to be had. Manangai, not only is he playing, but he's coming back next season for Rutgers, which is huge for them going forward. Also a rumor right now that Athen Kaliak-Manis could come out of the portal and be their quarterback next season, which Rutgers, you already have enough bad quarterbacks on your roster. You don't need another. Um <laughs> It kind of feels like Noah Vedral, just another bad Big Ten West quarterback heading east to Rutgers. Like, yeah, pointless in my opinion. But uh, I think Miami takes care of business here, and I think a one-point spread is honestly a little unfair to them. The talent gap between these two teams is crazy. Uh, I've got the Canes by 10. Yeah, I mean, Miami's one of those teams where, yeah, they didn't – it's kind of like Utah. They didn't finish out the season the way they would have wanted, but – Early in the season, they were getting some hype. They were ranked. They beat some solid teams. You really can't not pick Miami here. I'm going to say Miami by 13. Yeah, just flat out a better team. And I think that's going to be uh, pretty evident on the field at Yankee Stadium. But if you want to watch that game, Thursday, December 28th on ESPN at 2.15 p.m. in the Bronx. And if you're in the area, $68 to get in. Interesting that uh, I'm sure Rutgers fans are going to show up and show out for this game right down the road at Yankee Stadium. Probably a really cool experience for uh, those who are fans of the Yankees and also fans of Rutgers or the Miami Hurricanes uh, to see them play in Yankee Stadium. All right, Friday, December 29th, New Year's Six game here. It's the Cotton Bowl, Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, AT&T Stadium, Arlington, Texas. The number nine Missouri Tigers and the seventh-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. Mizzou, a one-point favorite, probably just because they have a more – probably just because we know more what Mizzou is going to look like. And 
we don't know what Ohio State's going to look like in this game. I think we're going to learn a lot about Ohio State. Reed, a lot has changed for the Buckeyes since we last did a show. I'll give you the floor. What is your take on the current state of the Ohio State program? Well, I'm not really sure what to make of all the transfers leaving the team. Um, I think that is a problem for the future, though, because at the end of the day, Chip Trainum is not the starting running back for Ohio State, nor is Evan Pryor, nor is Jair Brown a starting cornerback, nor are any of these players who are transferring except for Kyle McCord, the starting quarterback. Um, so I think Missouri being a favorite is interesting. When I first saw some of the transfer news and I saw that Kyle McCord wasn't guaranteed to start and then I saw McCord is in the portal, I'm like, yeah, everyone's leaving. This is going to be a skeleton Ohio State team. Missouri's absolutely winning this bowl game. And now you're seeing Abuka's coming back. Marvin Harrison Jr. might be coming back for the bowl game. Um, or actually, I shouldn't say, let me let me clarify. Abuka has not announced whether or not he's coming back next season. He's staying for the bowl game. Jack Sawyer is staying for the bowl game. Denzel Burke is staying for the bowl game. Jordan Hancock is staying for the bowl game. JT Tuimolowell, I'm not sure if he's announced that or not. Travion Henderson, I'm pretty sure, is still playing the bowl game. So a lot of notable names on this Ohio State team are playing the bowl game. So it's essentially going to be your standard Ohio State roster minus Kyle McCord. Now, I'm interested to see who the Upgrade. quarterback will be here. <laughs> I yeah, that, that Let's is talk a, about it. Let's that talk is about a question. Um, my take is if Devin Brown is playing in this game, Ohio State better find a transfer. Uh, I think kind of the answer is Ohio State better find a transfer quarterback no matter what. Um, but I think we've seen enough out of Devin Brown to determine unless he just undergoes a dramatic change in the spring, he is not good enough to be Ohio State's quarterback next season. If Lincoln Keenholz plays, I will be much more interested to see what Ohio State does in this bowl game because Keenholz is a question mark. I have no idea what to expect out of him. I kind of, like I said, know a little bit what we're getting from Devin Brown. Keenholz has played very few snaps in an Ohio State uniform, and most of them have been handoffs to Devin Pryor. So who knows what he looks like. If he comes out and completely shows up against this Missouri team and you know throws for 300 yards and you know gives Carnell Tate a breakout game or something like that, we could be looking at a quarterback battle between Keenholz and a transfer or just a straight-up Keenholz starting job next season. But if it's Devin Brown, I think you're going to be really looking into the portal, um, potentially going for, I guess, K.J. Jefferson at this point, maybe Malik Murphy, um, as we've seen. Cam Ward uncommitted Cam Ward is, still? He is officially uncommitted, but the rumor is, the strong rumor is he's going to Miami, Florida. Um, okay. Dante Moore just committed to Oregon as the Dylan Gabriel. So a lot of these big names – are already committed. I think KJ Jefferson and Malik Murphy are the two biggest names still in the portal. The names that I would take over Kyle McCord, because frankly, there's a lot of guys coming from the group of five that I wouldn't take over Kyle McCord if I was Ryan day. But anyway, all this to say, I think Ohio state will still kind of look like itself in this bowl game. And I think a lot of players on this team, you know, you talk about bowl games, not mattering uh, outside of the New York six or players being non, not invested. I think the fact that so many big players who probably will be going to the draft are still playing goes to show that there is a level of feistiness inside the Ohio State locker room. They want to make things right and end the season on as high of a note as possible. So I still think Missouri has a good chance to win this game, but I'm not going to write Ohio State off and say everyone who matters is gone. That's the end of the story. I still think even if a lot of the starters were gone, they would put up a good fight against Missouri. Um. I'm going to pick Ohio State to win this one just because even though they have a losing record in the playoff all time, they tend to do well in the New Year's Six as a whole. Mm -hmm. And 
in recent New Year's Six non-playoff games, I can't remember the last time they lost. It might have been the Orange Bowl in 2013 because they won the last two Rose Bowls they were in. The last three Rose Bowls, they beat Utah, um, Washington, and, you know, I, I guess, I don't know. Regardless, I can't think of the last New Year's Six game that Ohio State has lost that wasn't the 2013 Orange Bowl. I think that was the last one because they beat – um, they beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta. They beat USC in the Cotton. They beat um, Utah in the Rose. They beat Washington in the Rose. Yeah, so Ohio State does really well in these near six games that aren't the playoff. I think that continues. I'm going to say it's going to be a close one, though. I'm going to go 27-24 Ohio State. I like Ohio State in this one, too, for, for the reasons you laid out, that just Ohio State with – out Kyle McCord, I don't think is a whole lot different than Ohio State with Kyle McCord. In fact, it might be a little better, might have a little bit more juice to it. And I liked Missouri all season enough as just the next best of that group of SEC teams after Georgia, Alabama, etc. But I don't think they're particularly great. And when faced against a, a truly elite level talent team, at least in Ohio State, that I, I think is playing for at the very least, a little bit of pride in this game on a Friday night in Arlington, Texas. They're just a flat-out better team, and I think Ohio State's going to prove that. Like they were all season. This team was in the top five all season long for a reason. It was getting number one votes all season long for a reason. Maybe they weren't as good as Michigan, and they weren't good enough to make the playoff, but they're certainly good enough to take care of business against Missouri. I've got Ohio State by seven. I like it. Yeah, I think it's – utterly criminal that they're underdogs in this game just blows my mind Ohio State is almost never an underdog uh let alone an underdog to a team like with all due respect Missouri who I, I know was good this season but there's still a part of me that's like it's it's still Missouri you know yeah and it's still Ohio State and I know we should look at more than just what the logo on the helmet is but it's not like that doesn't mean anything at the same time I'm with you yeah, Ohio State's going to win this game, and I have utterly no doubt about that. All right, Reed, next game. Well, also, I'll mention if you want to watch that, 8 p.m. December 29th, Friday night on ESPN. That game is in Arlington, Texas. You can go for $85 to get into the stadium. Next game, though, Auburn, Maryland, in your hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, Reed, the Transperfect Music City Bowl, 2 p.m. ABC on Saturday, December 30th. The Auburn Tigers, seven-point favorites. No Tunga Bailoa for Maryland in this game either. So, different-looking Maryland team and a Maryland team that was reeling as the season came to an end. Really weird Auburn team who almost beat Alabama and lost on fourth and 33, I think it was, fourth and 31. Fourth and a mile, they absolutely handed that game away. But at the same time, they got crushed by New Mexico State in their second-to-last game of the season. So, who knows if this Auburn team's any good or not, but what we do know is that Maryland for the last two months of the season was not any good. And also at the same time, Maryland for the last two months of the season was pretty reliant on Talia Tunga by Loa to even be competitive in most of their games. And without him, I just don't think they're good period. And I think Auburn is maybe not a better team, but a team in, no, I, I really have nothing to say about Auburn. I'm not going to tell them they're good. I'm not going to say Auburn is reliable. I have nothing good to say about Auburn. I have nothing good to say about Maryland. Uh, neither of these teams move me in either way particularly. But Auburn almost beat a college football playoff team in their last time out on the field, and Maryland for the last two months has not been very good. 
Not that Auburn was very good for most of that time either, but maybe it becomes a competitive game because of that. I'm going out on a limb here, but I am going to take the Auburn Tigers uh, by three points. This is a really underwhelming bowl matchup for me mm. just because, like you said, Maryland at the end of the season has been slipping. Usually in a bowl game, especially the Music City Bowls, had some fun matchups in recent years. Um, not last year's Iowa-Kentucky game, but I'm thinking with the Purdue-Tennessee game. Um, you, you know, usually you hope for maybe you have a team that's 6-6, six and six, but at the end of the year they got hot and they, they just barely made a bowl game in an emphatic fashion. They sort of had a walk-off in the last game of the season, whatever. Maryland is kind of the opposite. They got bowl eligible really quickly and then just fell off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's no fun. And then Auburn has just been so inconsistent. They gave Georgia a good game. They gave Alabama the fight of their life. And then, like you said, they got killed by New Mexico State. Um, kind of like the Oklahoma State of the SEC, I would say, with that inconsistency. This game doesn't move me very much. I, I think, though, even as much as Auburn is inconsistent, I can count on them more in this one than I can in Maryland. I'm going to say Auburn by 10. I like it. I'm with you there. The Auburn Tigers will be the victors in your hometown of Nashville, Reed, at Nissan Stadium. 2 o'clock ABC on Saturday, December 30th for that one. Getting into the new year here, Monday, January 1st, 2024. Noon on ESPN2, Wisconsin and LSU in the ReliQuest Bowl, the former Outback Bowl, Raymond James Stadium, Tampa, Florida. LSU a 10-point favorite here, and I think that line is low, to be honest. LSU is going to crush Wisconsin. Wisconsin's no good. Even with backups, LSU is better. I've got the Tigers by 17. Yeah, I agree with you. And if Jay, if Jade Daniels didn't opt out, this would be his second bowl game against Wisconsin, fun fact, because Arizona State played Wisconsin in the Las Vegas Bowl a couple of years right. ago. Right. Right um, But, yeah. But, unfortunately, <laughs> he is the Heisman winner will not be playing in the Reliant West Bowl. And I'll be honest, if I was the Heisman winner, I wouldn't play the Reliant West Bowl either. And I think you're right. LSU will dominate Wisconsin regardless of their quarterback's absence. I'm going to say LSU by 21. Yeah, uncompetitive. Wisconsin's not any good. Uh, they do have Tyler Van Dyke coming in next year, who I also don't think is a particularly great quarterback, and he'll fit right in with the Wisconsin tradition of underwhelming QBs. So I don't – I'm going to be honest, Reed. I don't really see a whole lot of hope in Wisconsin football going forward, especially looking at how difficult their schedules are in 2024 and 2025. Yeah, I mean, part of me still is riding the Luke Fickle train and believes that the pieces will fall into place and things will work out and they'll be the Wisconsin we've gotten to know in the last 10 years again. But I think you make a good point, though, about how the conference is getting tougher. The Big Ten West no longer exists. Their schedules in the next two years are really hard. And if you're Luke Fickle and you don't bring the team to high heights in three years, he may be out the door. Um, it is a difficult spot to be in if you're Wisconsin. Extremely difficult, especially because the talent level on this team doesn't look like it's being elevated particularly. And I think that's the big issue is talent at skill positions. Doesn't seem like that's getting a whole lot better, at least here in this early transfer portal season for Wisconsin. It's a real issue, and it's something that they have to address or else they could be left behind in this new Big Ten. Speaking of teams that need to address the issue of talent and skill positions and scoring points, (laughs) the Iowa Hawkeyes also playing uh, on Monday, January 1st, 2024, New Year's Day, 1 p.m. on ABC. They're in Camping World Stadium. 
taking on the Tennessee Volunteers, your home state read flagship university in the cheese at citrus bowl. The Vols are eight and a half point favorites over Iowa because it's an Iowa game. The over under 36 and a half points. So do with that what you will. To me, Reed, it's kind of a similar story here. I just can't put any faith into the Iowa offense to do anything. But Tennessee's offense is not the monster that LSU is. I think it's like a diet version of LSU. Yeah, I'm with you. And first, can I also say that the name Cheese at Citrus Bowl is just – I hate it for two reasons. One, <laughs> that it sort of trivializes a bowl that I think is pretty important. And I wouldn't say prestigious, yeah. but still, it's an impressive bowl to get to. I don't it's the love best that. of the non-New Year's Six Bowls. Yeah. And then also just the fact that cheese and citrus not only are not related, but they kind of are pretty polar opposites in terms of taste and just what they are. I just hate that it's the cheese at Citrus Bowl. That's just, that makes me want to vomit. But um, I was also I was talking to my friend who goes to Tennessee about this game, and you know she watches Tennessee football, but she isn't very in tune with college football as a whole. And I had to break the unfortunate news to her about the style of football Iowa plays. And how <laughs> she's like, "Oh yeah, we're totally going to win." I was like, "Yes, you are going to win, but it will be the most." excruciating 60 minutes of your life. <laughs> oh, what I would give to be somebody who doesn't know what they're getting into watching an Iowa <laughs> game and then, and then seeing the absolute uh, horrors beyond my comprehension unfold as Deacon Hill drops back to pass for one of the five <laughs> times per game that he drops back to pass. Um, Reed, if you watch this game with this friend of yours, please report back with any and all observations that you can. <laughs> watch it like a, a science experiment with her, please. Like, uh, do it just for uh, for the show, for the brand, and for science for for all of I'll us. I'll grab my old tenth grade uh, chemistry lab book and write a up a lab report. Co- composition notebook. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I like it, Reed. Yeah, I'm with you here. Tennessee's gonna win, but it's gonna be ugly. Uh, I've got Tennessee 16 to six. I think Iowa gets a pair of field goals. Let's go uh, Tennessee by 10. That's a horrendous score, but I'm going to say something similar. I'll go 20 to six Tennessee. Hey, we're seeing an old friend in this game, Reed. How about Joe Milton, former Michigan quarterback? Oh, now yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. The, uh, the return of Joe Milton to the big 10. He is no stranger to throwing interceptions against big 10 teams. And I could see him doing one or two against that vaunted Iowa defenses time around yeah this is also by the way a rematch of the 2015 tax layer gator bowl fun fact learn something new every day hey wisconsin and lsu that's a rematch uh they played a home and home not a home and home but a neutral and neutral yeah at green bay they played one in green bay and they played one in houston i forgot about the houston one yeah which is kind of a home game for lsu it's right across the uh the water but Still, not really. I don't know. It's in a different state. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun little series. I remember my cousin was uh, at LSU at the time and uh, made that Lambeau trip, which was uh, certainly one of the highlights uh, of that season. Definitely a, a cool thing to get to say you did. So, sh- shout out to that little little rematch there. That's all we've got, though, Reed. We'll get to shout outs and closeouts. But quick reminder, obviously, we haven't talked about Alabama and Michigan. We're going to give that one its own episode. So, stay tuned for that. But Shoutouts and closeouts, anybody, anything you want to shout out before we get this one over with? I'll say shout out to Santa Claus. Um, just a great guy. Um, 
spreading the holiday cheer and happy holidays to all of our listeners. Yeah. Shout out to Santa. Indeed. Happy holidays. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. I know that's wrapped up. If you celebrate, no matter what you're celebrating, uh, certainly hope it's a good one. It's a great time of year. A lot of football on a lot of family. Good to be back home. Uh, certainly the vibes are excellent. So shout out indeed there, Reed. I'll also give a shout out Indiana head football coach, Kurt Signetti. He's cooking in the portal. He's cooking on the recruiting trail. As we recorded this episode, Reed, Indiana landed the commitment of the number six quarterback in the 2024 freshman class, Tyler Cherry, out of Center Grove High School in Greenwood, Indiana. They're cooking. Number six quarterback in the country. I can't complain. Uh, Certainly an exciting time to be an IU football fan. All right, Reed, that'll do it for this week's episode for Reed Murray. My name is Patrick Feltz. We'll be back with Alabama and Michigan, a super preview later this week. But until then, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.